3: Welcome to Concussion Talk podcast. I'm Nick Mercer.
0: And I'm Erin Guilfoyle.
3: And today, before we start our conversation with Doctor Sasha Boskovic and Ethan Bryan, I'd like to thank. Take one second to thank our sponsor, Head Check Health. Concussion Talk podcast is presented by Head Check Health. Head Check Health bridges the gaps in concussion care through simple, powerful technology. Join organizations like the Canadian Football League, Track Factory Racing, the Canadian Junior Hockey League, Eastern Washington University, and Volleyball Canada, who rely on Headshake Health to improve communication and optimize care. Visit headshakehealth.com for more. Okay, I am talking now to Ethan O'Brien and Dr. B, Dr. Boscovich, and uh, I'm going to ask them both to please just... Um, I don't know which one of you wants to start, but start with uh, just your brief background and how you got started down this path towards concussion and uh, the bunch potential therapies for you. So, for
1: sure. Yeah. So, uh, my name Ethan O'Brien, and uh, I had my first concussion when I was eight years old, and uh, it was while playing ice hockey. I collided with another player, and we both fell backwards, and I smashed my head hard on the ice and uh that ended up giving me a really bad concussion probably one of the worst concussions that i've experienced over my uh 20 years of concussion history and And, you've experienced a
3: bunch haven't you
1: i've had a lot yeah somewhere in the range of 10 to 15 i kind of lost track of how many exactly (laughs) yeah uh, anyways that that first concussion it ended up leaving me really susceptible to more concussions after that so it became very easy for me to get a concussion from Uh, other sports injuries or hockey hits uh, where you know other kids might bounce back from that and not have concussion symptoms but because my brain was already injured uh, i found it was easier for me to get concussions especially after they started to build up in my teens and uh dr blaskovich and i first met uh, about three years ago uh, after i had a snowboarding injury Um, i was snowboarding down the hill and fell backwards and hit my head on the on the ice and So I I was having a lot of post-concussion symptoms and I was starting to get really concerned about, you know, am I going to be developing CTE or is there something that's really wrong with my brain? Because I was experiencing about, you know, 15 to 17 years of post-concussion symptoms at that point. And uh, they're on and off. They would come and go. And sometimes minor bumps would give me a few weeks of symptoms. Sometimes it wouldn't. So I wasn't really sure what was going on. So my dad actually came to see Dr. Blaskovich about uh, another injury that he had. And uh, he started talking about my post-concussion symptoms and my history of concussions. And uh, Dr. Blaskovich suggested that I come in to see him because he had a unique perspective on the whole thing. So came in to see him. And right away within the first meeting, he's like, yeah, I think you have cranial cervical instability. Uh, I don't think it's actually a brain injury. And uh, that just opened up a whole new world to me uh, because I was constantly stuck in the, the rhetoric of, you know, there's something wrong with my brain. It might not be something else. So, uh, Dr. B is one of the only doctors in Canada that has access to a motion x ray machine. And that was able to demonstrate to me that I did have instability in my neck and it showed that my vertebrae was shifting and that was pushing uh, pressure onto my uh, brainstem occasionally. And he then taught me different ways to deal with the instability in my neck and how to relieve.
3: Oh, did I, did I listen or did Aaron? Did you listen too? Yeah. They're... Okay. There. You can hear them? You can hear them? I can hear them. No, I okay. cannot. I will. i pause okay. a Oh no. Are you back, Ethan? Hello.
1: Yep. Yep. We're here. Okay. Yeah. It just sorry for a second. Oh. So I can go back. You were talking about
3: yeah. the the uh, neck the the the, next, the, 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 uh, uh, the stair step before I get. Too much into the you the description of what that is, but the you stopped where you you left off at the stair step basically of your neck.
1: Okay. S- slip stair. So you want me to go from there?
3: Yes, please.
1: Okay, cool. Uh is is me- the re- sorry. is it
3: recording? You didn't you didn't, didn't mention stair step, I just that's about where you were though.
0: Yeah, we're still re- recording.
1: Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah, so uh, I, I came to see Dr. Blaskovich, and he explained to me that I'm probably dealing with cranial cervical instability in my neck, and that was really eye-opening for me because prior to that, all the other doctors were just looking at my brain, and they weren't looking at anything else, and so he showed on a, on a motion x-ray machine that he has here in his clinic that I was dealing with instability in my neck, and we could see that the vertebrae was actually shifting, and I had ligament damage on both sides of my neck, and that was what was causing these reoccurring post-concussion symptoms, uh, so that was really eye-opening to me and uh one day when we were getting treated i just said like hey you should write a book about this like you know i know a lot of people are probably dealing with this kind of injury and you know we should try and get that information out to the world and uh, i asked if he wanted help doing it so uh he said yes and we uh then spent the next year and a bit uh meeting every morning uh or every tuesday morning to uh, work on writing the book and doing interviews and talking about different subjects and uh, after a year and a bit we uh, produced a book and online course and we've created the concussionrecoverykit.com and uh, I'll let Dr. B explain uh, his, his post-concussion yes. symptoms. Wow.
4: <clears throat> so my name is uh, Sasha Blaskovich. People call me Dr. B for ease of not having to say my last name. Um, my I had one, I mean I played a Canadian football, if you can call it that, um, from high school all the way through university. And I'm sure I had lots of bumps and whatnot that uh, may have added to, contributed to this. But <clears throat> I had one major injury that happened in my uh, second year of university where <clears throat> um, basically I threw a ball. I was playing quarterback and I threw the ball down the field. I was looking at my pretty throw and linebacker came through the line and he basically wrapped me up. He did hit me hard. but. The way you wrapped me up, you he held my arms and I, I couldn't free them up, and I was so busy looking downfield that what I just, you know, the ball that i just thrown. That... Oh.
3: Okay, he's just his ball. He's there? Uh, basically. Oh, sorry, uh, you lost, I, I lost you. I where, don't know if you. you losing me. Sorry.
0: Aaron, can you hear them? No, they're breaking okay. up again. Okay.
4: I can start again. Is, is that better now? Uh, yeah, you good now. Yep.
3: Yeah, you're good now. That was uh, exactly. we were the, the looking at the ball down the field. You just thrown the yes, ball down
4: the field. Yep. Sure, yeah. I was looking at the ball to go down the field as a linebacker came through the line and he wrapped me up and held my arms and didn't hit me really hard, and, and but he held on, and as we went backwards for me, forwards for him, um, I, I fell backwards and hit my head on the ground in my helmet. And the lights went out. Basically, it's like someone shot off a cannon in my head, and, and I think I was probably unconscious for you know a split second or a few seconds, and <clears throat> scraped myself off the ground and went or, you know went off the off to the bench because we were done that series. And uh, basically didn't think anything of it. Didn't realize I was concussed. And, and can you still me, hear me? Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and my job as a my responsibility as a quarterback was when we're not in the game to go stand by the head coach or the offensive coordinator, waiting for. Okay, yeah. back into the game and what i ended up actually doing then is um, um, are we out again
3: no we're good now
0: we we're getting a little bit connectivity issues but you can't you come back in where you were leaving off so it's good okay
4: um yeah. i ended up finding myself at the end of the bench uh, just chatting with the guys and joking around which wasn't out of the usual for me because i did that often anyways it's just that i never did that during a game and uh Without, within a very short amount of time, it was time for us to go back, the offense to go back into the game, and then the coach was calling me, and I wasn't standing beside him, and then finally the word got down to the end of the bench, and the guys are like, you got to go back in. I was like, okay, so I went back in, and even forgot my helmet, someone had to hand me my helmet, and then I ran up to the coach, and I ran you know, a few steps into the field, and you know, I turned back, and I said, what am I supposed to do, And he goes, and he gave me the easiest play in the book to go run. And then I turned around and went back towards the field, took three steps and came and turned around again. And I said, what's that? So I didn't even remember the simplest play in our book. And he called the time out and had me assessed and basically they diagnosed me with a concussion. Um, <clears throat> and they followed the regular protocol. And I think within two or three weeks, I was back uh, back at it. But in retrospect, um, that exact mechanism of injury uh, is what a lot of patients that I now deal with have had. And what that did is it actually tore the ligaments on both sides of my upper neck, which support my head on my neck. And by doing so, as Ethan said, it's resulted in in transient, which means it comes and goes, uh, pressure on my brainstem resulting in the concussive-like or post-concussive-like symptoms. And the reason that that happens is that when the integrity of the ligaments is compromised, so there's too much movement between the vertebrae, The muscles try to compensate or the muscles have no choice but to compensate based on the brain's um, input to them and so the muscles become overly active and as they become overly active they get fried out when they get fried out they have two options to completely release and let go which poses them a risk to ripping or they seize down and become locked up and so when they become locked up these now capable of shifting more than they should vertebrae get shifted out of position more than they should and then that causes a longer term shift, which results in a longer term compression of the brainstem, which results in what would be considered a flare up. And so then the treatment for that would be to address the muscles that have responded to the instability, because you can't really address the instability directly. Um, And so when you release the muscles and put them back in a state of active reactive mode where they can actually do their job, then the flare up goes away or goes down and you lead a more normal life. But, But the fact of the matter remains is that the ligament damage is permanent. And the muscles will fail at some point in time again, resulting in a flare up and an elevation in symptoms. Where the same protocol, and I've been following that same protocol for the last 16 years, and to date it's been very effective every time. Uh, well, I guess uh, Aaron
3: has a better question about good questions about the neck come out, but uh, first, I'll first just ask you if you could talk about the uh, the motion x ray machine. What does, that, what does that tell you?
4: Absolutely. So basically, when x-rays are regularly done, uh, or MRIs or CT scans, it's all done static, not moving. And so basically, the, the assessment is of the anatomy, not of the function of the anatomy. And so because we are functional creatures constantly moving and having to have, A, support, but B, function, and protection of our spinal cord and, and brainstem and, and, and brain, so our, the main, main job of our skull and our spinal canal, or, or our spine, is to primarily protect our brain and our brainstem and spinal cord and then the second function is movement and so when the ligaments get torn the only way you can assess whether they're torn or not is by putting those bones through their regular gamut of movement and assessing indirectly albeit whether there's too much movement occurring between specific segments which would delineate that the ligaments that would passively hold those bones uh, stably together have been compromised. And when they've been compromised, the responsive uh, symptoms that a person has, depending on which level would be compromised, will be manifested in the types of symptoms they have. So for example, if somebody has excessive movement midway or lower down in their neck, it'll generally affect their arms. It could affect their lower extremities and their, and their uh, torso and core, but generally it'll affect their arms. But when somebody has that up high in their neck, it will involve their brainstem, which could involve anything in the body because of the control systems implemented in that brainstem area for our bodily function. And so, by moving around in the motion X-ray, so the, the X-ray itself doesn't move, the patient moves within the X-ray field. And because oh. this is a, re, because it is a reverse image of the regular X-ray, so in regular X-ray, bones are white, background is dark. Yeah. In this form of X-ray, the bones are dark and the background is lighter. Oh. And so, with that reversal, you can actually have movement and not have blur, or not have as much blur, so that, that you're not looking at the anatomy of the, of the bones, you're looking at how that anatomy functions. And by assessing how it functions, you can delineate whether there's excess movement between certain segments, which would be akin to instability. So normally chiropractors deal with, uh, and, and most manual medicine people deal with, things being stuck. Well, this is a problem that's the opposite of that. It's things are actually too, too unstuck
3: guys very neat
0: yeah um kind of a question for both of you i suppose is i just want to ask about certain triggers you might notice i know the the nature of this injury kind of mimics post-concussive symptoms and those are often triggered by bright lights screen time all that kind of things and if similar in the way if there's something that you notice or try to avoid and then dr b you also mentioned flare-ups and i was just kind of wondering if you could go a little bit further into that too and how to manage those symptoms and how maybe a patient might manage them on their own
4: sure i'll tackle the gist of of um bright lights sounds um say for example screen time like you said screen time is not only involved in, in staring at a screen but it also involves a static posture generally and when you have damaged ligaments The only thing that can support a static posture would then be your muscles. Normally, your ligaments can do that phenomenally when they're not damaged, when they're not stretched. When they are stretched, the extra shift that the bones then experience has to be neutralized by muscular engagement. And those muscles cannot engage long enough and strongly enough to support that for any prolonged period of time. And so being in a static posture with screen time will affect people and flare them up who have instability in their neck every single time. And the second thing of that is, is with the instability in the upper part of the neck like, like I have, like Ethan has, like most people have who have these post-concussive issues, the little muscles that are involuntarily coordinating the attempt to stabilize the upper neck when the ligaments have been damaged, those little muscles have something called an oculomuscular reflex loop. So they're basically connected to the eyes. And so their job is to basically support the head when they think the head is going to move. So when you're when your eyes move, the brain thinks the head is going to follow. And so those muscles are constantly um, doing a tether or pulling back and forth, even when your eyes are moving, tracking across the screen. So if they're already tasked by trying to hold your neck together because of the instability, then you add static posture and tracking motions with your eyes. Those muscles get fried out even faster. Because basically, if you have somebody in slow motion and you videotape them and you say, okay, I want you to turn your head to the right, if you break it down frame by frame, the first thing that happens is they actually move their eyes to the right, you know, as if to say, let's see if it's safe and then I'll move my head, and then the head follows. But even if they don't move their head and their eyes just move, the brain perceives that the head is going to go and those muscles are already engaged to try to stabilize that movement. And that's why, you know, tracking and reading and and looking at a screen is not only just… Tiring for your eyes, but because the eyes are directly connected through the brain to those little muscles that support the upper part of the back of the neck, they're being fried out just by reading. And so, um, when people have these flare ups, it is inevitably the muscles that cause the flare up. So, the pain, the trigger point referral. So, trigger points are painful spots in muscles that also trigger pain elsewhere or a symptom elsewhere other than just themselves. And so these trigger points will cause referral into brain pain, what I call it. So it'll either be pain behind the eyes, a headache behind the eyes, forehead, temples. These are all engaged and connected to those muscles in the back of the upper part of the neck. And so the the main technique that I use on myself and I use on patients when they come here passively for a treatment is basically sustained pressure of those trigger point spots. And by holding sustained pressure, it depletes the lactic acid that is being built up by that muscle being overly active. And by holding that pressure and the depletion of that lactic acid for about 30 seconds or more, it'll allow the lymphatic system to pick up the lactic acid that has just been depleted out of that muscle, that chunk of muscle tissue. And then the lactic acid gets removed. And as you release that spot from that sustained pressure, because muscles act like sponges, the only thing that fills in there is fresh blood because blood goes in one direction. And so you, in essence, replenish each spot per spot as you go through there and as you've replenished enough spots that muscle then goes from being completely seized up and dysfunctional to becoming functional again and it can actually then support the instability that the person has which is the the core underlying problem that uh, causes all these other uh, collateral things to happen Um, and i've designed an s-hook tool which is basically like a massage cane Um, and i use the term massage loosely because it's intended to do this sustained pressure on oneself and I, uh, I try to teach patients how to do that on themselves because that's literally what I gravitate towards when I'm having a flare-up is I will, you know, pull aside for five minutes or 10 minutes and spend that much time doing these sustained pressure uh, spots on my upper neck. And then after I've done that, nine times out of 10, my headache is gone, my dizziness is gone, um, my brain fog is gone, um, and I can kind of go on, on, on further with that. And the other thing is when I don't have the leisure or the time to go and grab this cane and go lay down with it, um, what I'll do is just use my knuckle and dig it into the back of my upper neck, in, in with my head in a particular position that accentuates, yeah, exactly like you're doing there, uh, that accentuates um, the tightness of the muscle, so it brings the muscle out to the surface and, and gives me better access to it. And I'll do the same thing, hold for 30 seconds, and I'll try to hit a couple spots. And, and after I've done that, which I actually do on a regular basis throughout every day when I'm treating patients, I'll be treating them because they'll be face down, and they won't see what I'm doing, and I'll be knuckling my own neck in an attempt to give myself relief so i can carry on throughout the day so on any given day i might do that you know a few times to a few dozen times to give myself enough relief to just keep going on and that's what gets me through the day and it's been very effective like i said for since i discovered that it works and then after i discovered that it works it's it's brought me into this entire um bucket of science that exists that basically explains why it works and it's very complex but the simplicity of it is is just ischemic compression, which is basically squeezing all the juice life out of a, out of a tissue, which means taking the, the blood and the oxygen and everything out of it by, by sustained pressure, and then by holding that long enough, giving the lymphatics time to then pull it away, and then when you release, it fills with fresh, and you get a reset. That's literally in a nutshell.
3: Yeah, I'm sorry. I saw the, uh, the video of the, the S D S scheme, and uh, that's a funky-looking thing there
4: yeah i designed that specifically with myself in mind it was sort of a selfish thing because i could i could not find other practitioners that would be willing to do because it's not mainstream chiropractic right so we're trained to adjust people and we think that's our skill and it is but i and so i had a difficult time finding another colleague who was going to do this sort of glorified massage technique on me which it's not it's a chiropractic technique um and, and then do it hard enough for long enough where it wasn't you know Making their body break down, which is how they would perceive it. And I've been doing it for well over 22 years, and it hasn't broken down my body if you figure out how to do it properly. And so, um, I designed the S hook with myself in mind so that I wouldn't have to try to find somebody because um, I was mm-hmm. using all sorts of things before that, like shampoo bottles, and trying to you know lay down and wedge myself in. Because I knew it worked, I just didn't have an effective way of doing it. And I had or- ordered all the other canes on the market, and none of none of them had the proper spacing to address the neck. A lot of them, they all are intended to address the shoulder blades, which most people have tightness and issues with, but none of them were geared to address the neck. And so my goal was to find something or create something that addressed the neck, and I did. And then it just snowballed into an actual product. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter.
1: Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user
2: compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary.
0: That's great. Um, I was kind of wondering, too, with the upper neck evaluations, uh, do you think with concussion protocol that has recently come in, uh to include upper neck evaluations and how would that look if it was able to be integrated in that way to sports
4: yeah i think yeah. initially when, when you have you have a golden period where the the nervous system responds in such a, a, a majorly effective way that it's not really testable to a, a level of certainty that i think would be required this is, I think, one of those things when a person's gone through the the regular uh, gamut of you know rest and recover and remove stimulus and then implement stimulus again and try to challenge yourself to see whether the symptoms arise when you bring your heart rate up and all these things. I think that's the first thing. And if a person then continues to have symptoms, they will have all their body will have also sort of subsided out of that golden period where it's splinting and protecting at at, at all costs, where it's hard to assess the upper neck in a proper way and. After that period, so if that's two weeks or three weeks and a person or three months and a person continues to have symptoms, I think that's the best time to implement this. Because as often as I think it happens, it probably doesn't happen as often as I would um, possibly propose in the large scale of things. And I think it's the people that end up becoming, you know, what would be considered chronic or the people that are non-responders. I think those people are needing to be assessed for their upper neck. And, you know in our, in our world that ends up being everybody we know kind of thing but uh, I think in the big scheme of things there are people that uh, that walk away from that and don't have these injuries and have a true concussion or something akin to that and mm-hmm. uh, the, the odd ones that do end up uh, having upper uh, neck ligament permanent ligament damage uh, those ones will show up as, as not responding to any of the regular stuff
0: mm-hmm. Um Ethan I just want to ask you cuz you seem to have a different story in terms of uh your concussion seemed to happen a lot younger you had a lot more throughout and I just was kind of wondering when did you start to notice there was a more emphasis on concussions in sports and kind of more knowledge around that that came out
1: uh yeah so yeah, I played hockey all, all through growing up and uh I I think for me personally I was because I was dealing with post concussion symptoms I was aware of it um I don't know, from, age, well, from my very first injury, I was so badly injured that I was aware of concussions from age eight. But I think in general, like when I had that first concussion, my coaches had no kind of concussion training or anything like that, and they actually let me go back and finish the game after five minutes of sitting on the bench, which mm-hmm. was a big mistake. And it probably led to you know more symptoms and longer-lasting symptoms. So uh, I I believe probably around the age of 17, 18 is when uh, more people started to become aware of of post-concussion symptoms, and that would have been about ten years ago. Now I'm 28, so uh, I, I would say about 10 years ago is kind of when it started to become more mainstream.
0: Mm. Yeah, it's definitely been a growing point in the sport injury for sure. And I was so surprised, Doctor you when you said too, like when you'd were actually diagnosed and had the protocol go through. I was just like, oh, well, that's good. <laughs> um, I think my final question to Dr. V is just what's the most common ailment that you notice in athletes that you get in your clinic and how do you motivate them to listen to your advice? We know oftentimes athletes just kind of want to get back on the field especially if that sport is their life and how do you kind of force them to slow down? Uh,
4: the best way is you try to help them mm-hmm. what I went
1: through
4: and try to teach them the science because they as much as uh this may be contrary to popular belief football players are actually quite smart they got to know quite a bit of stuff to be able to play that sport and do the right thing at the right time and so their ability to to comprehend and learn in most cases is quite high and, and i think it's taken for granted but uh i think educating them with as much science as i perceive they can receive from me and painting a picture of um Very few people end up becoming professional football players and making a living of it And there's better ways to use your brain or what you've got as a functional brain left over after these injuries that you'd want to utilize as opposed to having the the risk of making things get worse and so as much as a lot of them want to get back to it I think a level of education That's not coming from a parent or somebody who they perceive as biased and wants them to not play um, would be the most crucial uh, element that would help them to take a step back and come to the realization that uh, this isn't all that important in the big scheme of life, um, and it's not just my parents that are telling me to be safe and protect myself. It's this doctor who's gone through it and who is specializing in it and who sees people from all walks of life that are going through similar things thats not that aren't just from football, um, and to help them understand that um, there is a serious, serious threat to their future well-being by not paying attention to what I'm telling them and that if they want to be able to, you know, enjoy their own children they their adults and throw the football around and run around and do that stuff that they really need to um, be forthwith and honest with myself and with their coaching and training staff when they do get a flare-up because it is a serious signal of pending doom if they don't address it and listen to it accordingly. And so um, I I have not come across many instances where the players, when I've explained it to them like that and and helped them understand the science and the severity of how this affects them uh, neurologically and can affect them permanently for the rest of their lives neurologically, where they don't actually accommodate and and basically subdue to the the science. Mm. I, I think just telling them you shouldn't do it because we want you to stay safe. Safe. They're smart enough that they can comprehend all the other stuff that I just said. That if they're given that, the empowerment of that knowledge will help them almost make a better informed decision that, hey, this probably isn't quite the time for me to go back yet because I am actually feeling these things. And, and the biggest thing that I find is a disconnect in medicine and, and in training staff and whatever else is that um, just the simple few symptoms that are constantly thrown around, like the headache, the dizziness, um, the, um, when the heart rate goes up, they have you know pressure inside their head, um, light sensitivity, sound sensitivity. Those are just a few. When I start talking to them about you know digestive changes, um, heart rate uh, and blood pressure, and um, hearing changes and um, anger issues, so those are the big. Their irritability. When when I point out to them that. Um, I believe they're probably highly irritable with people around them. They will confess that. And, and that, that's my biggest uh, tip-off, that uh, they're still dealing with it, is is, is what we, we consider t- anger issues or what parents would call teenager issues. But if it's out of the ordinary for that child or that individual, then it's the strongest indicator that they're still dealing with something that they're not vocalizing. Either they don't know how to vocalize it or they choose not to vocalize it. That's the biggest tip-off is that there's some kind of a pers- slight personality change to a very obvious personality change, that they're still dealing with something that is 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 something that should be hindering them from going back to any contact sport.
0: Mm-hmm. So yeah, that, no, it truly indicates that like knowledge is the power, and that personal touch that you're able to give is very important too. I feel to their entry, but yeah, Nick, if you have any other, uh,
3: questions. Uh-huh. I was just asking because Aaron said about all this knowledge, not that you have now, that you've installed all this knowledge in yourself and presumably in, in Ethan. Um, what, uh, it. it, Ethan was the inspiration to start writing the book or to write your book and your regression recovery kit. So, uh, can you not hear me? I'm not sure if I,
4: there you go. I think you're back.
3: Okay. I um, was saying Ethan is probably was the inspiration to write this this book and start this Dr. B's concussion complete concussion breakthrough. Dr. B's concussion breakthrough and, and the concussion recovery kit. So he explained what those are and what's and what the difference between the concussion recovery kit and Dr. B's concussion breakthrough.
1: Yeah, for sure. So uh, the the original idea was to just write a book and kind of document uh, all the information that Dr. Blaskovich has and his unique perspective on post concussion symptoms, and that's what we put together in the uh, Dr. B's Concussion Breakthrough. Uh, we have the audiobook as well as an ebook and a paperback for the book, and um, then the Concussion Recovery Kit is kind of like a, an upgraded package where. Uh, you not only get the, the book, but you also get a recipe book that suggests uh, different types of foods and meals that you should be eating while you're recovering. Uh, you get a, a custom supplement blend that we've put together. It has 19 different supplements that are full of antioxidants to help the brain deal with the inflammation after a concussion. And then you also get Dr. B's trigger pointer, which is the S tool that he was talking about earlier, right. uh, that he uses all the time to relieve the neck pain in his, in his neck. And, uh, and then we also include blue light blocking glasses to help with symptoms related to light sensitivity and, and a sleep mask for people that need to rest during the day or while it's still light out. Um, so essentially, the concussion recovery kit includes the supplements, the book, uh, we have an online course, uh, the trigger pointer, and the blue light blocking glasses and sleep masks. So it's kind of like a, uh, a kit that you would get that has everything you need to be able to recover from a concussion from home.
3: Oh, okay, great! Well, before I, I should just talk. we can get that stuff. Um, you said you've had you've had like you said ten to fifteen concussions. but you said a bunch. So uh, would you say all of them were, were you found than if you knew this in the neck, that were they all impacting your neck? Or were there some, you think would just respond just from, not necessarily the same mechanism. Do you think they're all the same yeah. mechanism, is she?
1: Uh, I believe the, the worst concussions I had involved the neck, and that's what really led to the long-term oh, post-concussion yeah. symptoms, but yeah. there were definitely times where I had just purely a concussion where it didn't really involve whiplash or a neck injury, um, like uh, a, a kid broke a chunk of ice over my head or tried to, but it was too oh, thick, yeah. and it didn't break, so that gave me a concussion. Uh, getting hit in the head with a basketball one time gave me a concussion on the, on the schoolyard, um, and then, you know, hits to the head in ice hockey where I just got, you know, a straight hit to the head kind of thing and not, you know, whiplash or, or, you know, snapping of the neck kind of mechanism. But you're not, uh, but you're not definitely... playing hockey my... I, I still play some hockey. Uh, um, I, I, well, I don't play roller hockey. Yeah. yeah, I play roller hockey. So it's, it's non-contact. There is still a little bit of contact, but it's not, you know, full it's, it's out gentle. trying to kill each, yeah. each other. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, I still play ice hockey, uh, roller hockey, and I, I do dirt biking in the summer and snowboarding in the winter time. And uh, basically, the inspiration for the concussion recovery kit in the book was that, uh, you know, I've, I've been able to overcome all these post-concussion symptoms so that I can still live an active uh, athletic life. And it's I know so a lot of people active. just kind of, a lot of people just kind of get to the point where they're like they just kind of give up and like i guess i'm never going to get better and i'm not going to be able to do those things anymore and that just wasn't an option for me um so i just have continuously worked to try different things and different habits and methods and techniques to to see what works with managing my post-concussion symptoms what causes them to flare up more Mm. and just bringing that awareness uh has really helped with me deciding, you know, when when to do something, when not to do something, and if post concussion symptoms show up, then I know exactly the tools to use to help mitigate them.
3: And you saw Dr. Bashevich just like him, when did you suggest it to you him know, when you first first met him or when you, when you had seen him for a few times? Uh, it
1: was there? after I saw him a couple times. So we met for the first time, and he explained the cranial cervical injury. Uh, then the second time we met, we did the motion X-ray, and I saw visually on the computer screen that I was dealing with a neck injury, and that was just really eye-opening. Uh, and then after a few treatment sessions, I was just on the table getting worked on, and I, I just brought up the the idea of creating a book and creating a supplement and the construction recovery kit, and it kind of just snowballed from there. Well,
3: well, good snowball. Yeah. And uh, do and you have anything else to or should I just... Okay, well, so nope, I see. those are all my questions. <laughs> well, great. So then Ethan or Dr. D or and I should say, would you like to tell people can find your concussion recovery kit and Doctor B's breakthrough, and also you're in BCs, what BCs? But I understand. And uh, where can yep. they? Where it's somewhere they can find you locally if you're in British yep. Columbia.
1: So uh, Dr. Blaskovich, he's based here in Langley, BC. We're about an hour outside of downtown Vancouver, and uh, he has the Whiplash and Injury Clinic. Uh, He also has a a clinic in Linden, Washington, just on the other side of the border for anyone who's in the US uh, that isn't able to come over the border at this time during COVID. They could travel up to Washington and visit him there. And uh, we have concussionrecoverykit.com, that's where you can get the supplements, you can find the book, uh, the online course, all the different products that we have available. We also have motionxray.ca if anyone's interested in getting their neck X-rayed with the motion X-ray to discover if they are dealing with this injury or not. Uh, they can go to motionxray.ca to learn a little bit more about the procedure. And uh, you'd have to come out to Langley here to get the motion X-ray done because uh, Dr. B is one of the only two doctors in Canada that has <laughs> Which access Which is a bit
3: difficult for us. <laughs> it's a total of very.
4: Yeah. It's a little bit far for you. <laughs> yeah. I and mean, then the last thing is just information about whiplash in general uh, on our yeah. main website for the clinic here is just whiplashclinic.com.
3: Okay, great. Well, thank you so much. And uh, hope people find your book and find it helpful. And uh, they think get on, on Amazon as well, right? On Amazon. Yeah,
1: or in... yeah it's on Amazon. Uh, the audiobook is on uh, iTunes as well.
3: Oh, okay, great. Well, well, thank you so much for being on this podcast.
4: Thank you appreciate Thank coming. you. Thank
3: you. Music at the beginning of this podcast is by Ben Sound, www.bensound.com
2: Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time.